Welcome to the Sunday Messages podcast from New Hope Church in Cape Coral, Florida. Our mission is to glorify God by making fully devoted followers of Christ, by belonging together, believing in Christ alone, and blessing our world. And wherever you are on your spiritual journey, we pray today's message brings you hope and help along the way. Thank you, Pastor Philip. Thank you all. Let's encourage our worship band one more time. Thanks, you guys. Encourage them. We are so glad. Thank you, Brusser. Appreciate that, Philip. Awesome. These guys have been doing a fantastic job, just like all the rest of us, on top of all they need to do in their homes, their families. They're able to come and, and put together an awesome time of worship. So we encourage you guys. Thank you for being there. Well, we are moving on. <laughs> I, I know you're ready to move on from our last series, the series whose name we will not mention, at least not yet. To, uh, to bigger and better things. And, and, and as a sign of that, I was able to do something last night that I haven't done all season long. I took time to watch a football game. Now, for a, a diehard Gators fan, that's a big deal to not have, be able to do it. But it was, I, I had a few things on my plate this, this football season. I wasn't able to watch it, so I took time out to watch the football game. That may have been a mistake on my part. I should have watched the, uh, my other favorite team, and my other favorite team is anyone who is beating Alabama. But I chose to watch. I chose. Yeah, let's just take a moment here. And just, no, yeah. Uh, you know, so I, I, I have to admit, I was a little bit surprised. I was watching a first game of the season. You know, I know you guys are probably way ahead of me. I hadn't seen football in a while, and, and I was kind of surprised by something. No, I, I wasn't surprised the Gators are still in a building season. I was going to take a, another decade or so. But what I was surprised about was this. Those referees, you know, the guys with the white and the black striped shirts running around with a, a whistle in their mouth, those little yellow flags they keep throwing there. I was surprised how busy these guys were nowadays. I mean, they're, they're on top of everything. Every little infraction, every little penalty, every little offense, these guys are throwing their flag and blowing their whistle. And when they do that, when they blow that whistle, everything stops. Play stops. Forward momentum stops, and they deal with the offense, Right? They, uh, they, they call out what the offense was with hand motions and, and that old 1960s uh, sound system is still there in the stadium. And they, they, they even call out the guy who, who caused the infraction, who offended the other player or offended the rules. And then, and then even after that, they, they mark off the penalty right there on the spot. Not until it's marked off, the penalty has been paid, does the game re, uh, re, uh, begin again and, and the forward momentum can once again begin. Even the commentators, they'll spend a little time on TV talking about the guy and his offense and, and how often he's done that same offense in front of everyone in the stadium, really even on national television. Can you imagine how, how embarrassing that must be for that guy? I, I can't imagine being that guy or his parents watching the news or watching the TV station. But as painful as that is, as, as embarrassing as that is for that guy, it made me wonder, what would it be like if we had little referees running around our world? No, no, I mean it. I mean it. Like, like running around your neighborhood, like running between your house and your, your neighbor's house. Yeah, that neighbor's house. Running around your kitchen table. Running around our church sanctuary. Before service and after service. Throwing that flag, blowing that whistle, calling out infractions, calling out offenses. Brrr, liar! Brrr, gossiper! Mean 
spirited hater. And everyone knows. I got to admit, I don't, I don't really want to go there because they'd be calling me out as often as they'd be calling you out. That'd be embarrassing. That would be shameful. And yet, and yet, I think that would be incredibly healthy. On the football field, they stop everything. Forward momentum stops. The game stops. Everything stops. Maybe you go to, maybe you go to commercial, but everyone there waits until the guy is called out. The, f- the offense is named. The penalty is paid. And when that is finished, they continue on. The game can continue. In real life, it's not like that. We're offended every day. We offend other people every day. All day long, these offenses pile up because they're never dealt with. They're never talked about. They're never resolved. They pile up in our brains and our head. They pile up on our hearts and our spirits. They pile up in our lives. They begin to wear on us. And our nerves wear thin. Our skin wears thin. Our patience wears thin. And we explode. Now, just a few days ago, we experienced just the opposite. I'm sure you noticed it like I did, those, those first few days right after, right after the hurricane. Sorry, I didn't mean to mention that word, but right after the big storm we all experienced. Right after that, did you notice things were different? I mean, at first just a little bit, but, but with time, they were very different. We all had those four-way stops. There were no traffic lights. Suddenly you had to wait for the next. And, and I found people waiting for two, even three, even four cars. When it was their right, it was their turn. But they just wanted to, 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 to be cautious and, and careful and share the road. There was sharing between neighbors. There was sharing between cities. There was sharing between different political flavors and colors. There was sharing and caring and, and giving and waiting and patience that we haven't seen in this country in decades but with time and with the return of electricity and water and doggone it internet that's all started to fade away hasn't it what if what if this little group of folks right here and maybe those that are joining us online what if what if we decided we really like those days What if we decided, what if we made a pact together that, hey, you know what? That was sweet. That was hard. That was hot. That was sweaty. That was a lot of work. But that sweet spot that we found ourselves in, I want to live that way the rest of my life. What if we made a pact together that that's how I want to live? That I want to, when I am offended, respond in a godly way. When I offend others, then I will go to them and, and resolve that in a godly way. What if we resolve to do it that way? There's a fantastic story in the Bible we're about to read together that demonstrates exactly what that would look like. In fact, there's so many lessons in the story in this entire chapter long, so bear with me. I'm actually just going to tell you the story, give you for homework to go home and read the story yourself out of God's word. But, but in this story, there's so many ways that God shows us how to live in, a, in an easily offended world, not just survive, but really to thrive, that we would be a, a beacon of light of how life could be lived differently, not like the world, not like we're used to, not throw in the towel and say, well, that's just how it is today, but to be different. Folks, I don't know about you, but we have seen a tremendous amount of traffic onto our church property, not only physically, but even virtually through internet and through television. God has allowed us to have a a public presence that we have never had before. We must not miss this opportunity. The world is watching. Your neighbor is watching. We must get this right. The world 
the world be damned, we will follow God's word. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and open up to the book of 1 Samuel. That's a tough one. It's all the way in the Old Testament, 1 Samuel chapter 25. And like I said, it's an entire chapter long. And I'm not saying that, that we don't have time to read God's word, heaven forbid. Certainly I'm not saying that. But to allow us time to get all the way through the story in one, in one sitting, I'm going to tell you the story but I'm going to give you his homework uh, uh, to read the story at home. And, and here's a little, a little help to make you want to do it. I'm going to leave out the very, what I believe is the best part, because it comes all the way at the end. That's, that's your enticement to read the story for homework. Because when you see this, you'll know exactly what I mean. You won't believe it. But if you have your, your Bible, you can open up to 1 Samuel chapter 25. I'm going to tell you the story quickly, and then we're going to jump right in and find these ways to, to not only survive, but even thrive in a in a world that is so easily, easily offended. So first of all, let me just tell you the story, settle back. Uh, in fact, today you're going to need, if you, have, if you have pen and paper or maybe your, your Bible app, we always talk about the Bible app, you can, you can click on the, uh, on the QR code, pull up the sermon notes, you can take notes there because they're going to kind of come fast and furious once we get started. So let me tell you the story, sit back, relax, hear the story, but then get ready to start typing or writing because this is, this, is, this is exactly what we need at this time. Ready? Okay, the story starts even before the story. It starts with Israel, Israel, the people of God. God calls them, says, I am your God. I am your king. You are my children. You are my people. They said, great. And then they said, well, uh, actually, God, uh, we've kind of noticed the other people, they have something we don't. They have an earthly king. We only have a heavenly king. So they go to Samuel, the mouthpiece of God, the prophet of God, the one who speaks on behalf of God. They said, Samuel, we want a king like everyone else. He says, no, no, no. You don't need a king like everyone else. You have a heavenly king. That's even better. Trust me. Why would you need an earthly king? They said, no, listen, all the cool countries have an earthly king. We want an earthly king. So God finally relents. He said, okay, I'll let you have an earthly king, but I don't want to be in on choosing it. If you want it so bad, you choose one. You would have thought, with all the time they had, and the desire they had, the begging and the pleading that they did, they would have done a little bit of research first, maybe Googled uh, characteristics of a, of a godly king. No, they did none of that. They picked a guy. Why? He was good-looking, and he was head and shoulders taller than any of the other guys. I'm not kidding. I'm not making that up. That was his qualifications. So surprise, surprise, he pretty much bombs right from the get-go. And every time he has the opportunity to do the right thing, almost every time he chooses the wrong thing. And so he's stumbling over himself. He's ruining things between the people and God, himself and God, who he doesn't even really know. And so, so Samuel, the mouthpiece of God, says, we got to do something. And God says, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send them a king, but this time I'm choosing him. I choose little shepherd boy David. Now, David was a shepherd boy. He had a few things going for him. He was tough. He was brave. He'd already killed bears. He'd killed lions. He even killed Goliath, the enemy soldier. So he, he was on his way to being a king, but not quite there. And so for a time, he was not allowed to ascend to the throne. Saul was still on the throne, and Saul, of course, didn't want to give up the throne. So for months, for weeks, for years, there's this bickering and fighting back and forth, and David is gathering his troops, and they're running, and they're hiding, and they're fighting, and they're retreating. And, and for a long time, you wonder, well, Lord, if you chose David as king, it was your choice. You didn't want Saul, but you do want David. Why don't you just bring him in there? Let's, let's get on with this so we can all continue on serving you and doing what you want. God says, listen, there's something happening in David's life that can only happen in the back of a cave. 
There's something happening in David's life that can only happen when he's running for his life. There's something happening in David's life when he's, when he's forced to gather a troops and, and gather followers and gather men alongside of him when he doesn't have either the authority or money to pay them. There's something that I'm doing in David's life that I can only do now. And then when he ascends to the throne, he will be ready. So when we pick up our story today, 1 Samuel chapter 25, he is still in that period. He has not yet ascended the throne. He's hungry. He's, he's, he's hiding out. At this point, he's in a town called Carmel. Carmel. He's uh, outside of the big cities, kind of, kind of staying low, laying low, watching for his opportunity to ascend to the throne. There's a wealthy guy in that town that's got thousands of sheep, thousands of goats. They're out grazing in the field. David says, you know what? I, I'm strong enough. I'm powerful enough. I have 600 fighting men with me. It would be no big deal to grab a few sheep, grab a few goats, kind of feed ourselves, do whatever we want. Who's going to stop us anyways? He doesn't. He chooses to be an upright, upstanding kind of guy. Not only does he not touch this guy's stuff, even though he has plenty, he says, in fact, I'm going to, I'm going to station my men around the, this guy's herds and protect them. You know, the enemy Philistines are always trying to do naughty things against God's people. He says, I'm going to protect them. They do this for, for weeks at a time. Finally, it's time to shear the sheep. Shearing time is sharing time. In Israel, it's kind of the harvest time for shepherds. Like if you're a farmer and it's, it's harvest time, you would, you would bring in the harvest and it'd be a great celebration, a great feast. You'd invite all the friends and the neighbors. It was the same with shepherds. At shearing time, that's when the money came in. Can you imagine how much wool came from thousands of sheep in one, two, or three-week period? The money was flowing. The wine was flowing. The sheep meat was flowing. The banquet was full and packed, ready, prepared. So then David says to this guy, hey, go back to... Uh, Go back to this guy, Nabal, that's the rich guy, says, hey, ask him in the middle of this time of plenty, this time of sharing, this time of generosity, if he would, he would just share a little bit with, with us and the guys as we're here, we're through protecting him, he's fine now, just a little thank you, if it wouldn't be too much trouble, we're not putting a price tag on it, whatever he thinks is appropriate. What do you think Nabal said? Nabal's name means fool, as a little hint. He says, what, are you kidding me? What are you, crazy? The sheep are mine, the goats are mine, the food is mine, the money is mine, the banquet is mine. I, I didn't ask you to help me. I don't know who you are. I don't know where you came from. I don't even know what you want. As far as I'm concerned, you're not even worthy to eat the scraps off of my table. And he sends them packing. So the servants get back to Dave and say, tell him what Nabal the fool said. You know what he said? Strap on your swords, boys. There will be blood. And they start marching. And his intention was to, to end Nabal's life and every life of every male that served on that ranch. Before he gets there, Nabal's beautiful wife, Abigail. Beautiful and wise, the Bible says. She hops on a donkey. The, the feast had already been prepared. The, the, the food was already there. The, the, the cakes had already been baked. She tells her servants, grab as much as you can. I mean, sheep and wine and bread and cakes. Pack it on the donkeys. Come with me. She gets to David. She falls off the donkey onto her face. She begs forgiveness in the name of her husband, the name of her people. She says, put the blame on me, but go no further. And... Don't forget, David, who you are and where you came from and where God has called you to go. You don't want this blood on your hands. And David relents. 
not only the beauty of that woman, but the wisdom of her words touches his heart. And he says, you're right. And he forgives, he receives the gift, and he goes on his way. So that's the story. That's what we're going to dig into. And, and, and again, to entice you to read the story all the way to the end on your own this week, I promise you, the two best things are still to come, but you'll have to read that on your own. So let's dig in and see. I, I, I think if you'll, if you'll bear with me and you'll take good notes, we're going to find seven different ways that we can not only thrive, but, uh, survive, but even thrive in a world that is, that is way too easily offended. First of all, the first way is this. There are all kinds of, of unmet, even unspoken expectations in our world. Let me, let me read the text for you real quick. Uh, that is found in, excuse me, in verse 7 and 8 of chapter 25. It says it this way. <clears throat> the servants of David say to Nabal, Now I hear that it is sheep shearing time. When your shepherds were here with us, we did not mistreat them. The whole time they were at Carmel, nothing of theirs was missing. Ask your servants, and they will tell you. Therefore, be favorable towards my men, since we come at a festive time, this generous time, this feasting time, time of sharing. Please give your servants and your son David whatever you can find for them. So this is what he's asking for, and there's all kinds of unmet and even unspoken expectation between David and Nabal, between Nabal and David, even between you and between me, between you and your neighbor, between you and the guy cutting you off who's driving in a style that he is accustomed to back home where he came from, probably New Jersey. There's a difference. <laughs> you sit in the front row. I can't help it. <laughs> There, 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 there's, there's, there's unmet, there's even unspoken expectation between you and your colleagues, you and your workmates. There are unmet, even unspoken expectations between you and your, your spouse, you and your kids, you and your parents and other family members. Someone said in, in a study on expectations and what we expect from each other, especially in, in the context of relationship, that as much as 80% Imagine for a moment, as much as 80% of all expectations that we carry around from others are unspoken. I mean, can you imagine that? I mean, even if it's only half that number, can you imagine how, I mean, these are landmines all around us that we're liable to step in and offend each other. For David, it was, it was very simple. There were three that we find right here in the text. Uh, at the beginning of the chapter, it talks about Nabal being a Calebite. What is a Calebite? That means he was a descendant of Caleb. If you read your Old Testament, you'll remember that as Moses would bring the people into the promised land, before they entered, he sent 12 spies to check it out. Uh, check it out, see what it's like. Uh, where can we attack first? Where can we enter first? Is it safe for us to go in or not? When the 12 guys came back, 10 of them said, forget it. We'll never survive. Uh, they're like giants. They're going to slaughter us. We can't go in there. Two guys came back and says, let's get them. <laughs> Joshua, who became leader, and Caleb, this other guy, older guy, in his 80s. Uh, men, how many 80-year-old men do we have with us this morning? Can you imagine coming back, puffing his chest out, saying, Moses, we can do this. Ten other guys, half his age, said, forget it. They're giants. We'll never get it. Caleb said we, he was a man of integrity, a man of great courage. And this Nabal, this fool, is his descendant. Not only that, 
Caleb was of the tribe of Judah. David was of the tribe of Judah. That means Nabal and David, they were family. There was all kind of expectations between family members, what he could and should expect from others in his family. But not only that, this is whole shearing time. Shearing is sharing. This was the one time of the year when people just would, would randomly give stuff away, randomly help, almost without even being asked. Yes, uh, the, the, the workers would come to the feast, the family members would come to the feast, yes, the neighbors would come to the feast, but they would even go further away. If there was needy people, anyone without resources, they were invited. There's so much now we want to share it with everyone. There was every reason to believe that Nabal would have said, hey, what a perfect opportunity. We got all this food prepared. Y'all come, eat here. I don't want to send it. I want you to come and join in. He does it. And then David and his men had already done all of the work. They'd already served. They'd already worked. They'd already done all of this in good faith, expecting a return. Nabal had every opportunity to show grace, to show gratitude, to show generosity. He chose not to. The problem with these unmet and even unspoken expectations, we never talk about them. Let me give you two tips on that. Number one, we need to understand, first of all, that these exist, that these are there in our relationships, close relationships, even further away relationships. Whether these are folks coming to our church building, needing help, they've never come to our church before, they've never related to Christians before, they're coming for help, they have expectations. We as servants, we have expectations. Realize that these expectations are there. And second of all, communicate, communicate, communicate. The best way to to eradicate unspoken expectations is to talk about them, especially in the context of a relationship, husbands and wives, kids and your parents, brothers and sisters in the church, even with your neighbors. That's the only way to work through the unmet and even unspoken expectations. Second of all, there are the personal attacks. Look at verses 9, 10, and 11. So when David's men arrived, they gave Nabal this message in David's name, and then they waited. (laughs) Nabal answered David's servants, who is this David? Who is this son of Jesse? Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. Why should I take my bread and my water and my meat that I have slaughtered for my shearers and give it to men coming from who knows where? This is what he's saying to the people, uh, to followers of him. He's not only uh, responding in a a hurtful way, he's responding with personal attacks. Now, there's three ways uh, Nabal could have responded. He wasn't expecting this visit. He wasn't expecting these guys. There was no contract between him and the the, the guys that that, that worked with King David, or soon to be King David. But but in spite of that, there's three ways he could have responded. Number one, he could have responded in gratitude. He could have responded in generosity, say, I didn't know y'all were coming, but look at this. We got this feast. Y'all come and join us. Be a part of this. We want to bless you because you have unwillingly, unwantingly, without my knowledge, you have blessed me. So I want to do the same for you. He could have done that. Or he could have simply said, listen, guys, I, I appreciate what you did. That was, that was great. What a sacrifice. But what we've prepared is just enough for us. I'm sorry, I can't bless you back, but, but say thank Thank you. He could have said no, or he could have chosen option C, which is exactly what he did. He could say no, forget it, and then go after David with all kinds of personal attacks. This is exactly what it says. Who is this guy I think he is? Is he some kind of disgruntled employee? He's not worthy of my food, of my generosity. 
I remember a day when politicians used to argue and debate about issues and, 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 and opinions and, and problems in the country. Remember those days, the good old days? You know, now they go after each other. You know, now they go after their families and their, their, their weaknesses and their, their personal likes and dislikes. I remember social media, it was, it was created to, to inform us and, and, and to, to make us aware of all kinds of new ideas and, and even new opinions. And now, now it's full of, of hateful and hurtful speech. Who can out-mean the other? Who can out-hate the other? And it's all attacking each other. Folks, God is calling us to let your yes be yes or your no be no. God is not calling us to be the, the footmat of the world and, and let the world have its way with us or our, our kindness, our generosity. But when we are choosing that, that, that would not be a personal attack. And God is calling us to understand that. Number three, God is un- calling us to understand the difference between reacting and responding. Look at verses 12 and 13. David's men turned around and they went back. When they arrived, they reported every word. David said to his men, each one of you, strap on your sword. So they did, and David strapped on his as well. About 400 men went up with David, while 200 stayed with the supplies. Strap on your swords. You ever said that? You ever thought that? You ever wish you had a sword handy? David did. He had 400 guys who had swords with him. There was nothing, not a human being on earth that could have stopped David from doing what David wanted to do in that minute. Why? Because he was reacting and not responding. God is calling us to respond. When we are offended by someone else, sorry, when we offend someone else, we expect the response to be uh, mercy, even forgiveness. But when someone else offends us, The fangs come out, our claws come out, and we're going for blood. If someone hits us, we're going to hit back, but we're going to hit even harder because we don't get our way, because our character is under attack, because we are disrespected and often disrespected publicly. He, King David, the future King David, is reacting. It is a knee-jerk action. It is instinctive. It is filled with emotion, but responding is different. It is, it is a process. It is, it is filtered with our mind, with our heart, with our spirit. He is assuming the worst by reacting in this way. David wanted immediate results. David wanted an immediate return on his investment. He had, he had worked. He had sacrificed. He had protected. He had invested in that relationship. And not only nothing came back, but nothing but attacks came back. That problem is so often we serve, even in times like this, disaster, uh, our our yellow shirts, our our Red Cross friends, we at our church, our volunteers, sometimes we serve with a measuring stick in our hand. I will serve and I will serve, but I'm keeping track. I'm keeping score. I know how many hours. I know what I've invested. I know what I've given. I've known what I've given up. And in that day, when that day comes, I expect a return. I had uh, an interesting conversation just this morning. A guy 
I won't name him. I mean, he turns out coming out pretty good in the story, but still, I won't, I won't embarrass him. But he said, you know, Pastor, when I first came to this church a couple of years ago, it's crazy. You guys were, were putting in a new floor, and I was here on a Sunday, and everyone said, hey, why don't you come tomorrow and help? He shows up the next day, and for like a week straight, he's on his knees putting in flooring. He didn't know us from Adam, but he made the mistake of saying yes once, and he thought, well, you know, I guess, I guess that's just part of serving in church. We have been to this guy's house now three or four times. We're going again this afternoon, and a big team of 11 guys are going back on Tuesday. He lives in one of those zones that got flooded. About a foot of water filled his house. Everything had to go. Everything had to be ripped out. Everything had to be taken out of his yard. He said, wow, pastor, who would have thought it? My little sacrifice, and God heaps on this kind of blessing. This is what God is calling to our, too often we as servants, we calculate our return on investment rather than understanding that we are to serve David learned a very valuable lesson on that day, that when we act as servants, eventually people will start treating us like servants. There's a pretty famous guy in the Bible had the exact same experience. And he did it to the very end. He is our role model. He is our role model. True servants have no expectations and no desire of promoting themselves. Fourthly, uh, he had the pr- uh, she had the proper posture. Look at verses 18 and following. Uh, Abigail, uh, the, the beautiful and wise Abigail. Abigail acted quickly. She took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five dressed sheep, five sayas of roasted grain, 100 cakes of raisins, 200 cakes of pressed figs, and loaded them on the donkeys. Verse 23. When Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey, bowed down before David with her face to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, pardon your servant, Lord. All right, let's look at her. We need to have the, when we're in one of these offensive or being offended kind of relationships that's just happened in our life, maybe, maybe in this case you have offended someone else. Let's take Abigail as our, as our role model here, the wise and the beautiful Abigail. Let's, let's look at what she did. Number one, right there in verse 18, the Bible says she acted quickly. How important is that? Before there's any time for, for you or the other offended person to kind of stew about it and, and, and turn bitter about it. No delay. Uh, do not allow it to fester. This week we've been helping a lot of families uh, kind of clean out houses that filled up with water. I'm sure many of you have done the same thing either in your neighborhood or maybe in your own house. You know there's a difference You know, there's a difference between mucking out a house on the day after the hurricane and mucking out a house nine days after the hurricane. Do you hear me? Do you smell me? Very big difference. When you let that water that on the first day smells funny, has ruined the flooring, has ruined the walls, has gotten into the carpet, that's a funky smell. You let that same smell fester For nine days in the Florida heat and humidity, that's a whole nother level of funky smell. This is what's happening when we allow these kind of uh, broken relationship offenses to fester in someone's heart in a relationship between two people, especially two people in a relationship. But But then it's very interesting how she makes it right. The very first thing she does is gather all the food. The very thing that David has been asked for and were denied, she says, the first thing I'm gonna do is I'm gonna make it right. What we have not followed through on, what we have not carried through on, the commitment that we have not carried through and done as we were supposed to, 
First things first, I'm going to make it right. Fulfilling your commitments, making good on a promise, holding your word. And then thirdly, she seeks forgiveness. But how she does it is so otherworldly for our 2022 minds, it's difficult to comprehend. The Bible says she's riding on a donkey, which is already unusual. The Bible says she hops off the donkey. She falls on her face, puts her face in the dirt in front of David. Now, I get it. This is 2022. We, we don't do this kind of thing in our world today. There is no relationship between hu- two human beings where someone might actually fall on their face and put their face in the dirt in front of another. No matter how sorry you may feel, you're probably, no, you're definitely not going to do something like this. And yet, and yet, this is, this is probably a lot closer to what we are called to do biblically than sending a, a winky face emoji and a thumbs up smiley face emoji. All good? See you tomorrow. That is radically different. This is much closer to what God is calling us to do. She sought in every way possible, in a culturally appropriate way in her time, our time that would be different, in a culturally appropriate way to demonstrate her own remorse, her own grief over the situation. And then, craziest thing I've ever seen. Then the Bible says she actually opened her own mouth. And she said out loud so that everyone can hear, especially the offended person in the relationship, she says, I'm sorry. No, no, she said it out loud. She didn't send a text. She didn't send flowers. She didn't give candy. She didn't say, oh, he knows how I feel. Oh, she knows what I, what I really mean. She said it out loud with words, I am sorry. Please forgive me. God is calling us to understand how important this is. For her, she, she, she invited the wrath of David and his men on herself, even though it was her husband, the, the fool Nabal, who had done this. But, but she did that for him. She did that for her people. It, it's, it's unusual why we do things, especially things that are hard. Sometimes we do it for ourselves. Sometimes we do it for others. I, I think of my grandpa. My grandpa acted my dad's dad. He uh, had something very unusual back in the day when I was a kid. He had a plot of land right in the middle of Miami that was two acres big. You, you couldn't find a piece of land that big today uh, if you had millions and millions. There's just, it doesn't exist. It's all been chopped up all kinds of ways. My grandpa still had one of these lots. The backyard was a jungle. It was his paradise. He had planted every imaginable kind of Florida. He loved everything that was native. Florida mangoes and avocados and oranges and grapefruit and lemons and limes and key limes and everything you could imagine. And then all the flowers that are native to Florida, hibiscus and, 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 uh, and all the other ones, uh, ginger and everything. It was like a paradise in the back. But when he came out front, it was radically different. There were no more trees just open uh, bushes in the front and even a big rose. All the roses that he had were out front. Now, roses aren't native to Florida. There's no reason why my grandpa would plant roses. He didn't even really like roses, and yet he spent hours out front around his rose bushes. He and I dug out a huge piece of his front yard to plant a rose garden in the front yard. People would stop and walk onto his grass. This is before, back when you could walk on someone else's grass without getting shot. So, so he, they would walk onto the grass just to enjoy his roses. He, it was incredible how much time, energy, effort, money, water he invested in the roses. He didn't even like roses. Grandma liked roses. Sometimes we do things because it's important to us. Sometimes we, we do things because it's important for the ones we love. This is her. This is Abigail, the wise and the beautiful Abigail pouring into others. 
uh, we need to keep going. Number five, we need to understand that sometimes we are our own worst enemy. 21 verses 21 and 22. King David says this. David had just said, it's been useless all my watching over this fellow's property in the wilderness so that nothing of his was missing. He has paid me back evil for good. May God deal with David be it ever so severely, if by morning I leave alive even one male of all who belong to him. It's useless, David says. Can you you got to get the picture of what's going on here. David and 400 of his men are marching back, maybe jogging back, uh, swords strapped to their leg. He's already smelling blood, and he's talking to himself. I mean, literally, he's, he's replaying and, and thinking about and stewing over what just happened. The more he thinks, the more he stews, the more he replays this offense that had happened to him, the angrier he gets. And he can't stand it anymore. He starts talking out loud as if no one else is there to himself about how angry he is that this just happened to him. We had a we have three girls, our middle daughter, she would kind of get this way. She would work herself into a tizzy. She'd come inside all flustered, all angry, all frustrated. One of her little friends had taken something or done something or, or offended her in some way. And, and mommy would say, what's the matter, baby? What's, what's going on? And she would start recounting the story. And the more she got into it, the more angry she would get, the more flustered she would get. By the end, she was just wailing uncontrollably, unable to speak, unable to think, unable to act or control herself in any way. And this is where David was going. So often we do the same. This becomes all-encompassing. We can't think straight, talk straight, act straight. We begin building teams or even fractions of teams that would be on our side. And if you're on my side, then you're against that side. And you would seek revenge against that side with me because you're protecting me. You're on my side and that side is the bad side until this eats you alive. And God is calling us to stop. It says, you're not crazy if you talk to yourself. You're crazy if you start answering yourself. And this is what I would tell you to do about this. When these thoughts and this stewing and this replaying of the video in your mind of what he said or she did or they are to you, just stop listening and move on. Four, uh, six, remember who you are. Look at verse 30 and 31. When the Lord had filled from my Lord every, this is Abigail speaking to David. When the Lord has fulfilled from my Lord every good thing he promised concerning him and has appointed you, David, ruler over Israel, my Lord will not have on his conscience the staggering burden of needless bloodshed or of having avenged himself. Again, this is the wise and the beautiful Abigail. There's a reason why she's in this, this story I believe, is, is pivotal in the life of King David. We, we have so many great King David stories. One day we'll do a study on his life. It's incredible all that God did in and through him. But I believe this story is pivotal in his life because he learned a very valuable lesson. There was a calling on King David's life. There was a purpose to his life. God knew what he would be doing, not only today, but even 10 or 20 years from this day. And in order to do that, he needed to understand that he had a, a higher purpose. The world, his people were watching. He was not created or saved or called to be like everyone else. The whole world is doing it, but not you, David. The whole world is being offended and offending without a thought, but not you, Christian. 
God is calling us to be different. The doors that would have been closed for him had he responded in the way that he wanted to respond. The, the opportunities for ministry, the opportunities for leadership that would have been ended had he been allowed to do what he had intended to do. I, I had an old preacher friend that used to say, you know, pa- Pastor Dave, uh, some days I stay clean because God's word tells me to stay clean. Other days I stay clean because I know what that would do to my family and my wife and my kids and my church family if I were to stray from God's path. We must understand that we have a higher calling. We are called to a higher place. I remember real quickly, two volunteers that I had. It was a different church. Don't worry, I'm not talking about anyone here. These, these two guys, if you, would, if you would measure world champion volunteers in hours donated to the cause of Christ, these two guys would have been at the very top of the list. While they were still working, while they still had kids at home, while they still had a family, I mean, they were there early in the morning before work. They'd come after work and invest more hours almost every single weekend invested in the ministries that they were doing. When they retired, it just doubled, quadrupled the amount of hours they would put in. But at some point, at some point, someone had, I don't know, maybe hurt their feelings, had disappointed them had let them down, had frustrated them in some way. They allowed bitterness to grow in their own hearts. They they began taking this bitterness out on others. Sarcasm crept in, uh, 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 a refusal to to accept help or or even incorporate others. It turned into their little kingdom. Only only they were allowed to do it, no one else. They, they, They sent away, scared away, pushed away anyone who might have helped them until, as pastor, I had to step in and just ask these two guys just to pull back from that ministry that they had invested so much time in. What a shame. What a shame for these guys, all that they had invested for God's glory. What a shame for that ministry, all the the help they had been to, to grow that ministry. What a shame for all of the other volunteers that would have loved to have had a part in that. But because of their horrible experience with these with these two guys and their period of bitterness, they said, I'll never serve again. God is calling us to understand who we are. And then finally, God wants us to have a teachable spirit. Look at verse 33, 34, and 35. Again, Abigail says, may you be blessed. uh, Excuse me, uh, King David saying to uh, Abigail, excuse me. May you be blessed for your good judgment, for keeping me from bloodshed this day, and from avenging myself with my own hands. Verse 35. Then David accepted from her hand what she had brought him, the big gift. And said, go home in peace. I have heard your words, and I've granted your request. Uh, lastly, folks, this is the, the, the life-changing experience for King David. All of the benefits that we have as believers, all of the benefits that we have as, as, as descendants of King David and Jesus and this incredible lineage, I believe came from this one experience when he learned this powerful lesson. Yes, ladies, from a lady. And, she, and he said, I will accept that. I will hear you. She was wise, the Bible says. Not, it, it, the, 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 if you were to dig into this word to understand what it really is saying, this word means not, not like a book kind of a wise, but a, a, a good thinker, a strategist. And she was good looking. In fact, the only, only other people in the whole Old Testament that are called very beautiful, King es- Queen Esther, of course we talked about her, and then Rachel, the, the wife of Jacob, and then Abigail. So apparently she was very, very, very beautiful and a very 
good finger, her winsome and gentle spirit turned away David's wrath. She single-handedly saved the future King David from a sullied reputation, from closed doors of ministry that would have caused Saul and, and his arm, army to attack him as a criminal. She lovingly, even graciously confronted a man, a powerful man, a man that God had called to be king, and she called him out. Church, we need more Abigails. Girls and guys that are willing to winsomely, lovingly, with an overabundance of grace and kindness, when to call folks out when we see heading down a path of anger and frustration, of, of hurt from being offended and desiring to hurt back others. When you see that happening, just like Abigail, you are very smart and you are very wise. And I'm sure you're very beautiful and very handsome. God is calling you to that same ministry of reconciliation. Now, the end of the story, I believe, is even better. And I'm not going to tell you that because that's your homework to read it. But as you read the end of the story, you're going to see how God takes a story, a, an offense, that could have ended a ministry, if not his life, and turned it around in something he couldn't have dreamed how beautiful it was. God wants to do the same thing in and through you. If our church, this group, this body of believers would choose to live differently, can you imagine what God would do in this city and in this world? Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for our time together. We thank you for your word. What an incredible story. God, thank you that you are teaching us today the lessons that you taught the future King David years and even thousands of years ago. God, I, I'm sorry that we're still struggling with some of the same issues. Sorry we haven't figured it out by now, but we know that you are patient, you're kind, you're good. You'll fill us with your spirit in such a way that we would understand what you're calling us to do. Thank you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for joining us on today's podcast. We hope it's been an encouragement to you. You can find more free resources, learn about our church, and partner with us financially when you visit us online at newhopecapecoral.com. Also, if you have a question or a story to share, we'd love to hear from you. Drop us a line on the contact page, once again, at newhopecapecoral.com. Finally, if this message was a blessing to you, would you take a moment to share that blessing with others? You can do that by subscribing on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen, and by leaving a review to share your story with others. Thanks again for tuning in and for helping us share the hope of Jesus with the world he loves. We'll see you next time.